0: You're listening to the Word of Hope, sermons preached at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Today's sermon is preached by Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. Christ is risen. He has risen indeed. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus, Amen. Dear saints, last week we heard the preaching of the empty tomb. This week we hear the preaching of Jesus. First on Easter Sunday and then the Sunday after. His two appearances to the disciples gathered together. And this is what the preaching of Jesus sounds like for us. He says to his disciples, Peace. Peace. Peace be with you. Now this is stunning and not at all apparent that this is going to be what Jesus says. Jesus could have risen from the dead and he could have come back mad. He could have shown up angry. Where were you guys? Why didn't you do anything to stop it? He could have come back angry because it was, after all, we remember, his sins, or our sins that caused his suffering, our sins, that put him on the cross. He could have appeared with vengeance. but he does not he appears to his disciples with this blessed word, peace. Let my kindness and my love and my mercy be manifest to you. Because all of my suffering, all of my pain, all of the bleeding, all of my death and burial, all of it is for you. Now these... Appearances and this preaching of Jesus works out in quite a dramatic fashion because uh, John lets us know that that while uh, all of the disciples were gathered uh, they were gathered minus two instead of the twelve there were the ten. Judas had committed suicide, murdered himself by hanging himself on a tree in despair, but there was another that was missing from the room Thomas wasn 't there on that first. Easter night when Jesus appeared to them. Now I have been thinking about this and trying to sort this out, and it, it's sort of an amazing thing. The text tells us that the ten were there and they, they didn't want to leave the room because they were afraid. Even the women came back from the tomb with the report of the angel, which said, Tell my disciples to go to Galilee and meet me there, where I said I would or meet Jesus there, where he said he would meet them. And instead of going to Galilee, they don't even leave the, the house. They don't leave the room. The door is locked. Even a week later, the door is locked, it says, for fear. All of them are bound up in fear, all of them except for one, Thomas, who's out. We don't know what he's doing, where he's going, who he's visiting, if he's at the grocery store or if he's going to get news or whatever, but while all the ten were afraid that they were going to be dragged uh, to, before Pontius Pilate or dragged before the Sanhedrin and and crucified like Jesus was because they were his followers, while they're all locked up for fear, Thomas is not. Thomas is the only one who's bold enough to leave the room. And we know this about Thomas, right? I mean, remember when, when Jesus was up in Galilee and he says, we got to go down because Lazarus has died, and I'm going to go and raise him from the dead. And the other disciples say, Lord, when we were in Jerusalem last time, they were trying to kill you. And Jesus says, it's time to go. And Thomas says, let's go with him and we can all die with him. And so Thomas is the one who convinces the other disciples, in fact, to go with Jesus down to Jerusalem for the raising of of Lazarus and then all of the things that follow. Thomas had this great boldness and it's manifest by him not being in the room. So imagine Thomas, as he looks at the other ten, shaking his head because of their fear, Shaking his head at their doubt. Looking down on them as he leaves the the room, the only one who has this courage to leave, as he comes back to the room, maybe to report the news that he found or to say what he saw or to bring the, uh, the news from the Sanhedrin or whatever. Imagine Thomas coming back into the room and the disciples saying, Thomas, Jesus was just here. Jesus appeared to us. He showed us his hands and his, and his feet and his side and he said, peace, and he breathed on us and he said, receive the Holy Spirit and whoever sins you forgive are forgiven and whoever sins you bind, they're bound. He came and appeared to us. Now imagine Thomas who would have to say at that moment, I can't believe it. To you guys? He appeared to you who are too afraid to leave the room? He appeared with you who barely wanted to come to Jerusalem, who were afraid to die, and here I am. Look, I'm I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid to die. I'm not afraid to die for Jesus, and he appears to you and not to me unless I see the hands and see the feet and put my hand into his side. I'm not going to believe it. John doesn't tell us how that week went as all 11 disciples are locked in the room together, I imagine it wasn't a particularly comfortable week for those 11 men. I mean, I imagine that night it started with Peter and the others saying, Thomas, look, it really did happen. We know you're upset that you weren't here, but it happened. We saw him. And Thomas continues in his unbelief, I'm not going to believe it. I'm not going to believe it. And, and their arguments would have maybe become angry, become sympathetic, until finally they're not talking about it at all. The ten are, are over here rejoicing that they know that Jesus is alive, and Thomas is there in the corner, and they're looking at each other. They trust each other. They love each other. But Thomas is refusing to listen to them. I can't imagine how Thomas was. Are they are they messing with me? Why is this? I, I simply can't believe that Jesus would have appeared to those ten without me in the room. That he waited until I left, and then he left before I got back. I just can't believe that Jesus would do that to me. I believe those guys, but I can't believe that that's how Jesus would have acted. And he's torn apart by it. Can you see it? Until the next Sunday. That would be this Sunday, the week after Easter. And they're all there in this mix And Jesus shows up again. Now this is an incredible blessing, not only for Thomas, but also for us. Jesus appears the week later, and he preaches the same sermon, peace, peace be with you, and then he turns to Thomas and preaches to him. Thomas. Don't be unbelieving, but believing. Look, here are my hands, he says. Here's my side. Jesus is like a, uh, he's like the guys that have come back from war and he's showing off his scars. (laughs) Look at the side here, look. Put your hand, in fact, Jesus says, uses the same words that Thomas uses. Unless I put my hand, unless I throw my hand, thrust my hand into his side, I'm not going to believe it. And so Jesus comes to him and says, "Throw your hand in here. Don't doubt. Believe." And out of Thomas's mouth comes perhaps the greatest confession of who Jesus is in all of the Bible. He says, "My Lord and my God." Now, one more piece of drama there, because then Jesus has a small rebuke. Really, it's more of a blessing for us, but a small rebuke for Thomas when he says, you believed because you saw, but blessed are those who believe and have not seen. You knew better, Thomas. You should have trusted Peter and James and John and the other ten. You should have known that they are not liars but they are Christians who tell the truth. You should have listened to the preaching and you should have believed it. And this blessing is for us. Blessed are you, says Jesus, who believe and have not seen. In fact, while we look at Thomas and we say, oh, how blessed St. Thomas was to put his hands into the hands in the the holes in the hands of Jesus. Oh, how blessed was St. Thomas to put his hand into the side of Jesus. Jesus says that you, in fact, are more blessed because you have faith not from what you've seen, but from what you've heard. You have faith that is built on something more solid than your eyes. You have faith that is built on the rock-solid promises of the Word of God. In fact, that's how John ended This passage, did you hear it? He says, these are written so that you, you who are hearing, you right here today, so that you would believe, and in believing in his name, have eternal life. That's the blessing for you. So we rejoice that we have heard the word, and that Jesus has used the word to get the victory of the cross to us. Now, That's the theology of this passage, that Jesus uses the word to get the blessings of the cross to us. And we see that most especially as Jesus delivers to his disciples this great and fantastic gift of the absolution, which is what we want to meditate on for the rest of the sermon. Because on that Easter Sunday, Jesus, as he appears to the ten, breathes on them and gives them this gift. Whoever sins you forgive, they are forgiven. Whoever sins you bind, they are bound. And from that, we have our doctrine of the absolution. Now, I remember, and I think I've told you guys this before, that this absolution, this declaration of the forgiveness of sins, this practice of the pastor standing up in front of the congregation and saying, in the name of Jesus, I forgive you, was an incredibly troubling thing to me. I remember very, very distinctly, and I've told you the story, of the first time I was in uh, the liturgical service and heard the absolution, and I thought to myself, who the heck does this guy think he is forgiving sins? Now, I know, by the way, I know that I'm not the only person that's ever thought this because, oh, I don't know, a couple dozen times when I'm standing at the back of the church greeting people who are leaving, uh, people have said, who the heck do you think you are (laughs) forgiving sins? They've said it to me. And I'll tell you what happened the first time that when I asked the pastor, because after the service I did the same thing, how is it that you can stand there and forgive sins? And he did this most wonderful and blessed thing. He he took a Bible. In fact, he took the Bible that I was holding and he asked if he could see it. I I think he was, so he wanted to prove he wasn't pulling out a trick pastor Bible that had extra verses in it or something. (laughs) He took my Bible and he opened it to this passage, John chapter 20. And he pointed to the words and he read them. Look at what Jesus says: "Whoever sins, you forgive; they are forgiven." It's, it's what Jesus says. And I said, "I never noticed that before." But there it is for us: that Jesus wants us to have the forgiveness of sins. He wants us to have the certainty that God is not mad at us anymore. He wants us to know, without doubt and without question, that our sins are released; they're sent away; they're forgotten. They're forgiven. Now, the picture, though, and because it's not some sort of special secret authority that God gives to pastors. In fact, the authority to forgive sins belongs to every single Christian. You, all Christians, all the baptized, can declare sins forgiven in the name of Jesus, the same absolute declaration. The only difference about the pastor is that the pastor is called to do it publicly, to stand before the congregation and to preach it and to announce it. But in our, in our private conversation, in our homes and wherever we go, we want to speak the same word. And the same authority is there. The same blessing is there. The same benefit is there. The forgiveness of sins is sure. Because it's not our forgiveness. It's God's forgiveness. And here's the picture. Imagine that you are, that you are in prison or in jail. And your case is being heard across the street in the courthouse. And the judge is listening to your advocate, to your defender, make the case why you should be set free. Now, in the picture, the judge is God the Father, and the advocate is Jesus Christ. And he is there pleading, not your innocence, but rather his blood shed for you. And because of His shed blood, you should be released. And the Father hears the argument of the Son, and the Father declares you to be innocent, to be righteous, to be holy. But you are across the street, still in your cell. So the bailiff, the one who stands there in the court, and hears the declaration of the judge, and has the key to your cell, he leaves the courtroom, comes across the street opens your cell and says, I set you free. Now you say to the bailiff, you can't set me free, only the judge can do that. I'm staying here. (laughs) No. You don't say that. You say, God be praised, and you leave. The bailiff is is not releasing you on his own authority. He's not deciding to break you out of prison. The bailiff heard what was declared by the judge and is delivering that to you so Jesus says to his apostles I give to you the keys to the kingdom of heaven whoever sins you bind they're bound whoever sins you release they are released Th- that the father has put into the Christian hand the keys that set sinners free and the absolution is using that key to open the cell now this can go wrong in any number of ways for example Let's just say the judge declares you to be free and innocent, and the bailiff, instead of coming to let you out, go decides to go and play golf. Are you free? Well, legally you're free, but you're still in prison. You don't know anything about it. Or let's say the judge declares you still to be guilty, and you shouldn't be released, and the bailiff comes and says, "I set you free," and you leave. Are you free? Well, only until the police catch up to you. (laughs) And then you're back, you see. The whole picture only works if everything happens in the proper order. First, the judge declares you free, and then the bailiff comes and brings that freedom to you. Now, dear, dear saints, that is precisely what Jesus is setting up here on Easter Sunday when he appears to the disciples and he breathes on them And he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Whoever sins you forgive are forgiven. Whoever sins you bind, they are bound. He is setting up a way to deliver the heavenly verdict of the righteousness of Christ, of the victory of His cross, of the victory that Jesus won over sin and over death and over the grave. He is setting up a way to get that victory to you so that you can know that the victory of Jesus is your victory. That the death of Jesus is your life. That the blood of Jesus is your innocence. That the suffering of Jesus is your righteousness. So that you can know that. Jesus sets up the absolution. Now he's, by the way, done the same thing in baptism. And the same thing in the supper. He wants to deliver the grave, the empty tomb, the suffering, the blood, the cross. He wants to deliver all of it straight to you. So these things mean the same. These sentences mean the same thing. Christ Jesus died for sinners. That means the same thing that Jesus has. My peace I give to you. And that means the same thing as this sentence as a called and ordained servant of the word, I forgive you all of your sins. This dying of Jesus, this rising of Jesus, this ascending of Jesus to the Father's right hand, all of this is for you, so that you would have the absolute certainty, the unmoving hope and confidence that God is not angry with you, that he does not hold your sins against you, but that your sins are forgiven and you are free from them. And free from the fear of them. Free from the guilt of them. Free from the condemnation of them. You are set free by this word of Jesus. Just as Jesus is free from death, you are free from the guilt of your sin. Dear saints, this is the joy of Easter for us and the joy of the absolution. It's the joy of Thomas and the other disciples who heard the preaching of Jesus. And this joy is only beginning. It goes on forever. For all the baptized, for all the absolved, for all the Christians who are set free by this word, May God grant us this joy always. Christ is risen. He has risen indeed. Alleluia. The peace of God which passes all understanding. Guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.